Hi, this is Dawn from Beautifully Broken with Dawn Renee, the podcast, and we are continuing our series on Faces of Widowhood, and each Thursday for the next several months, we will be having a conversation with a widow or widower, and they'll be talking in very raw, real, open, honest, authentic conversations, um, words, and emotions will come through. The episodes have not been edited because I wanted their emotions, their words to, to come out. I wanted them to tell their stories because I believe that in telling their stories, they can help others heal while they help themselves heal. And that is my, that was my wish and my desire in doing this series. So I hope that you join us for the journey and that somehow, some way, someone's story resonates with you and you find that someone does know and understand what you're going through, whatever that is. So please comment, share, like the podcast. Let me know what you like about the series and what else I can do for you. We're in this journey together and I hope that you understand that in joining me on this journey, you are healing me as I heal you or at least I try to. Thank you for listening and please enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome to today's episode of Beautifully Broken with Dawn Renee. I'm your host, Dawn Renee Hanlon, and today we have another guest in the Faces of Widowhood series and my guest, uh, conversation, uh, conversationalist is Tim. Uh, he is a widower and welcome, Tim. I thank you for joining me today. Hi, Dawn. Good to be with you. So I know that you have been widowed for not very long, correct? Yeah, it's about, um, 15 months now, 14, 15 months. Yeah. So, and your wife, Kate, um, how long were you two married? We were married just under 24, 24 years. Um, and this, uh, she fell sick. Uh, she, she died back in September 13th of 20, 2020. So right in the teeth of the pandem- pandemic, sadly. But she'd been ill for about three years before that with cancer. And, you know, sadly, the treatment went extremely well for the first two years. And then the cancer came roaring back in the final year uh it was devastating um and really at the end it was you know incredibly brief and she didn't know that she was going and um as i say she died on september the 13th 2020. so when you filled out the questionnaire that i've given everyone you broke the story down into phases and i I wanted to comment. So you call the different parts of the journey by these different titles, which struck me when I read it as very 
apropos because in your words, it's like the sickness, you know, going through the cancer, the treatment, the remission, yay. And then suddenly it's not, and then she's gone. Um, so the next one you said uh, you called the waking nightmare. Describe yeah, so, that one. Yeah, so let me talk about that. I mean, and, and in my world, I the world in which I mentally inhabit, I do like to frame frame things so I can, if I frame them, I feel I can understand them and I can understand where my feelings, my emotions, my actions fit within, within those. So yeah, there are, you know, a number of phases that I've absolutely noticed with myself and sometimes noticed with others that I've spoken about, uh, you know, talked about with the, these kinds of things. And yeah, the first one is, is the sickness. And that really does, strangely enough, it leaves you just emotionally exhausted. Uh, you've gone through everything you can do to save that individual you love and still you've lost. So you're emotionally exhausted and that really sets you up perfectly for the waking nightmare, which is your, uh, your, your spouse has just died. You have all of these things you need to do, all of these people who suddenly arrive. And uh, it's, it's the waking nightmare. It's, it's, is this real? Has this really happened? What does this mean? There's, there's almost no way to start processing it if you don't even feel like it's happened. Um, it's, it's really extraordinary. Um, it seems to, for me, it lasted about a month, maybe three weeks. Uh, I remember my mother-in-law saying it was like one of the poles of the tent had been taken away and the tent had collapsed. It was, it was hard to find even the most basic analogies to explain how it felt. It's funny because I always tell people, I felt like I was standing outside of my self watching a movie of my life but it wasn't my real life is it, it, it was so surreal that that you just you are going through the motions but it's like you're watching someone else live that life because that can't possibly be your own mm. it's it's very elemental it's very unreal you know you wake up in the morning and just think like did that really happen did this last week really happen? Did this last two weeks really happen? Yeah, it's it, and it's very hard. It's impossible to process other than just be connected to one's feelings, I think, a little bit. So then you said you have the gaining operational control, which I love that just the way it sounds makes it sound like, all right, now you got your crap together. But so, yes, uh, you know, so I have two, at the time, you know, I have two children, both of, both of them were at home at that time, both at uh, pandemic non-school. And people need to be fed. The trash needs to be put out. The dog needs to get walked. The bills need to get paid. And to be honest, I was doing none of those. My late wife was doing all of those. Um, so... You know, if bills weren't going to get paid, if the mortgage wasn't going to pay, get paid, well, there was no one else to do it except me. So I needed, it was a, you know, it was a wake up call of there was so much I needed to do. Uh, I still needed to work as well. Um, and it's incredible that even this much later, more than a year later, I'm still like 
fixing some of the last details about the name, the, the account holder on the water bill or something like that. But really in those first, I'd say those first two, three, four months, it's like making sure the kids are clean, fed, the dog is fed, walked, the bills are paid, work is attended to. And at the end of it, there is a feeling of, I mean, considerable accomplishment that the world didn't collapse um, and that you didn't become homeless or sitting there by candlelight because the electricity bill wasn't paid. Right. So you just, you're going through the motions and you're making sure things get done and you're figuring out and muddling through. Um, and then that brings us to processing and acceptance, which kind of the process of having to take over the operational control and come to reality of names on and off accounts. And, you know, just the, the fact, the, the calling credit card companies to tell them that that name doesn't belong there anymore. Um, you know, it's, it's just, and I still, I still actually, I just, it's been three and a half years this month. And uh, two months ago, I went to a store and they said, do you have a rewards card? And I said, oh yes. And I gave them the number and they said, um, who's John? And I almost like lost it because I just totally did not expect almost three and a half years later that someone would say, who's John? Um, and I said, that's my husband, but he's dead. And they're like, do you want us to remove him? And it just, the idea that they were removing his name from that account just cut me to the core. And it's, you know, three and a half years later. So you never know um, what you've forgotten until someone reminds you quite bluntly that their name is still there, um, but how it's going to affect you later on either, which, so we're processing and acceptance. We've gotten through, okay, we got the house bills. Kids aren't going, you know, the kids are not sitting in front of their Zoom with um, dirty clothes and jelly on their face. So now where are we at? Right. So... Yes, the processing and acceptance, it can, it can happen a little bit alongside gaining operational control, or I found it, you know, it could a little bit, but that process of gaining operational control was all consuming. It's busy, 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 busy. And, you know, once the busyness stops, it allows some time for reflection. So that's processing and acceptance. And if Kate died in September, this probably was around the end of the year, so around about Christmas time. And it's way to try and make sense of what happened and the implications for you, the children, your own life. Um, you know, I mentioned before how I like frameworks or a narrative, you know, to explain what's happening that explains my emotions. And a friend of mine who's a writer, uh, gave me this book by C.S. Lewis called A Grief Observed. And I put it to one side and I eventually, it was a very small book, put it to one side. And then a few weeks later, I came back to it and decided to read it. And it really gave me, maybe not a framework, but a narrative of how do I explain what happened to my late wife in a sense that makes, that allows me to move on. And what I took from that book is not so much the catered, you know, ascended into heaven and sitting on a cloud with, with shiny wings looking down on me, 
which is frankly an incredibly uncomfortable thought. Um, you know, I want her to be maybe looking down on the kids when I'm not around, but not looking down on me. And so, how, you know, how do you, that's something we don't talk about enough, I think, which is, you, you know, I'm not, I'm not that old and I don't really want a, the ghost of, well, spirit of my late wife looking down on me. I'm moving on with my life. Um, so the way C.S. Lewis explained it is that that in this life, our life on Earth, God is capricious and difficult and sets us many challenges. No reason why he wouldn't be just as capricious and difficult in the next life. And that you can only reconcile this by understanding that God puts us through these tests, that we can graduate from them. So I see Kate now having graduated to the next stage. Uh, from she's graduated from middle school to high school and is on a new journey of wisdom, love, whatever it is, spirituality, not looking back, not looking down on me when it's a Friday evening and I'm, you know, I'm out on the, out at a bar or something. Uh, and that she's, you know, she's, she's moved on in the same way that allows me then to think that I can move on. I've always felt this, that if you, if you don't move, if you don't, in a sense, allow the memory of your late spouse to move on, you're not going to be able to move on yourself. And if you can't move on yourself, I don't think your children can move on either. So a lot of it's a matter of in this processing, it's complex, it's complex, and people will come out of it with different thoughts, different ways of looking at the world and life, uh, some probably more spiritual than others. I'm not particularly religious, but I did find a lot of solace in that narrative from C.S. Lewis. But it's, and I suspect some people never move on, right? They can't get through this stage of processing and this, this ability to accept what happened. And I think that's very sad, but I feel like it was a, a fascinating journey of self-examination of, you know, where does this leave me now? And what am I going to do? And I like that you said um, you have to come to this period of acceptance. And it doesn't mean that you don't have love for your late wife any longer. It just means that you have accepted this wonderful gift you had in the time with her, but you can mm -hmm. now continue to move forward in whatever journey is ahead of you. Um, and I think a lot of people assume that if we were to say, you know, yes, I, I still love my late husband. I'm not in love with him. It's not the same. I still have a love and affection for him and all those memories and our children, you know. Um, I don't think that people understand that you can say, you know, yes, I had a wonderful relationship. I've learned a lot and now I'm ready to move forward. If you say that you still have affection and love for that person that is gone. Does that make sense? I don't know if that made sense. That's very, that's very interesting. What's going through my mind through my mind is, is there a, something of a taboo around saying, well, it's I've decided it's time for me to move on. And for people who have not been through this experience, their inability perhaps to reconcile that you can still love someone who's gone, but also move on. And moving on doesn't mean, as you rightly put it, that I love her any less, but I do love her differently. 
and she's not around and I do have the rest of my life ahead of me. Yeah, and, and it's funny because like I don't call it moving on. I say moving forward because mm. I feel like as I'm moving forward with the rest of my journey, a piece of my late husband is in my heart and the lessons that I learned in our relationship on how to have a relationship and how to have a healthy marriage and how to love unconditionally and to accept unconditional love. Those are things that are a part of me now that I will move forward and carry with me. And I think that that's when I say, you know, I, I still love him because I had such amazing things that have become a part of me through my relationship with him. And so I, and I think that that's a big thing when people, when you say I'm accepting it and I'm moving forward, people who've not been through it don't understand how you can say, oh no, I still, I still love my late husband. I mean, but he's dead. He's not here. It's not like he's coming back any time to, you know, knock on the door and, you know, interrupt anything as I move on with my life, you know? Um, but I, I think that there's that. And then there's other people that act like if that you've when you do move forward you've completely forgotten and left them behind and people become offended which again is always people who have not been through it are the ones that are the loudest and most offended no matter which choice you go whichever direction mm -hmm. you're headed absolutely yeah absolutely so then you have rediscovery which i really found um interesting because this podcast is actually a part of my rediscovery this trying to figure out who i am where i fit in into this new life this new world with all of these changes um you know that i didn't plan for didn't expect and you kind of put it very succinctly so just describe your rediscovery phase yeah so I'll, I'll use another analogy, which is what happened on September the 11th, uh, 2001, right? September the 11th being two days before my wife died, many years later. Uh, there was, you know, these two burning stumps in Manhattan of the old World Trade Centers. And you put out the fire, you, you try and absorb what happened, you put out the fire, but eventually you rebuild. Right, and there is now the new World Trade Center. It's different. It's it's beautiful in, in so many ways, and it's different. And this this part of rediscovery, it can't really happen until you've gotten the fires under control. You've taken back the operational the operational side of your life, and that's ticking along nicely. And as we just talked about, you need to have formed that level of acceptance. And then it's strange, it's not something you can force, it just kind of blossoms unexpectedly, which is where you find a new normal, that new skyscraper that you're gonna build, life is different, and life is kind of good. Um, some former interests of mine returned, I found some new interests. Uh, you start to even consider a social life, right? And And even, um, you know, even potentially, you know, romantic relationships and work has work takes meaning again. Um, and I feel that's a journey that's open ended. I'm still there and still delighted to, to rediscover old interests and uncover new ones. And 
it's like life is good. And, and that's exactly it. You're rediscovering who you are in this new time and place. Mm -hmm. And um, that will lead me into asking, so you have children, they were both girls, correct? Both girls, yes. Yeah, so, and you had, um, you became a single solo parent um, at a very crucial time in their lives. I mean, they were, they're 13 and 17 at the time. That's right, yes. Um, so, I mean, I have three girls. Um, so it was, I, I totally understand what girls at age 13 to 17 are like. Um, but then you add that, and as, you know, dad, you don't always you're not always going to be the choice of who they want to go to to talk to, but you didn't really have a lot of um, support here physically near you, did you? You were kind of on your own with it. Yeah, so while well, I live in the Washington DC area with my late wife's family in Oklahoma and my family in London. So we're kind of out in the middle of nowhere by ourselves. And yeah, I suddenly became, you know, it struck me one day, oh my God, I'm a solo parent. Right, there's no good cop, bad cop anymore. There's, it's just, if it has to happen, it's on me. And we didn't have a lot of support. That was the biggest shock and surprise, I think, of the whole thing, which is, uh, you know, it's, I think it's kind of easy to accept that you're, that you become a widow or widower. This solo parent thing was very alarming and very surprising. And everything that went along with that, uh, including having, two teenage girls going through their own journey of grief and recovery um, and trying to help them with that when, you know, maybe I wasn't able that much to help even myself. And and I, I do know you, you had talked briefly about that in the thing, how, you know, the kids were going through their own journey of grief, acceptance, and that they were seeing a therapist and um, they went from talking about what was to what can be. And um, you said they started talking about a future. And did you see, um, did that change the relationship or, or change them um, in ways that were noticeable for you? Uh, did they come to you? Did they look at you as more, open to talking with or do they still kind of not come to dad with stuff it's always really been no we don't really talk to dad about that and dad meanwhile is like um i'm not really sure how to have a conversation with a 13 year old girl about all of this hence uh why therapists have a really important role in this and I could talk to the therapist who could help explain what was happening, but I could pick up for myself, uh, especially with my eldest, when she came back, she said, oh, I don't really wanna do this therapy stuff anymore. Um, or maybe I get a new therapist. She said, it's too much looking back on what happened. I wanna start looking forward to going to college and the life ahead. And that to me was just a great signal that she, was, she had reached a point on her recovery um, and her acceptance and her moving forward. Uh, with the youngest, yeah, she's, she's doing a lot better and, um, and, is, and is, seems to be happy. But again, and maybe this isn't talked about much, you know, it's, 
I think for a lot of dads, it's, you know, we're used to the interpretation of our spouses on how are the kids doing? Well, trying to figure it out for ourselves is not a muscle that we've developed particularly well. No, and that's that's very true. And and I guess when people think about like single parents, they typically think single mom. But a single dad trying to fill the role of mom when you've never been a woman is difficult. Um, and conversely, it is difficult for women to fill the dad role. Um, but I think that women are able to get around it because we're um, more of the soft and nurturing and bug the heck out of the kids till they finally crack where I don't think guys, you know, are as comfortable doing that. Um, so I did want to ask, so I know that you, 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 the kids, you know, you did the therapy and um, social media, you're on the one Facebook group, um, the DMV widow and widowers group that I'm in. And that's how we connected um, for the podcast. But other than that, you're not really into, you're not on any other like social media groups for widows, widowers, um, where they have widow dating, they have, oh my God, there's so many of them. <laughs> it's crazy. It was a, a suggestion from someone a few months after Kate passed away. Well, why didn't you join one of these? And I was very resistant. I think I was being the classic guy, like, well, I don't want to share my feelings or my emotions. Um, and I don't really want to hear anyone else's for that matter. Um, I'm just going to be happy in my little shell, getting on with what I'm getting on with, which probably at that time was still coming towards the end of this operational, uh, the operational control part of it. Um, but then someone has said, well, look, why don't you try this particular one, the, the DMV Widows and Widowers, and I sat and watched it for a month or so and I started to see people arriving so, so sad, arriving freshly just after their spouse had passed and seeing the small words of support and encouragement from others who had been through the entire journey and seeing the occasional dad appearing and dealing as they often did they were in that 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 nightmare stage, that, that waking nightmare stage. And eventually I started posting a little bit saying, look, you know, this is, this is, it's not linear, but there are stages here and there is an end in sight. Uh, and most, especially to the waking nightmare, it's, it's going to be a little while that you will, you will be through this. And I felt those small words of, encouragement and perspective that I could give them would be helpful from time to time. So I post a little bit and I post a little bit supportively. Um, and I look at the, you know, the new folks coming into, into it and I see their, and I, and I follow closely their progression, their journey. And I look at it like, wow, that's, I remember being on that journey as well. And I'm glad that's, in the rear view mirror for me. And it's not like I'm doing better than them. It's just, I know that they're going to be doing better. And I know that this arc continues as we do get better. And the, the remaining arc for me, the arc ahead is, I don't know what that is, but I, I expect it will be better as well. 
And that's one of the things I like about um, this this group, uh, this local group that we're in, is that um, there are people at all different stages. You came in at about six months after, and I came in at about nine months in and reluctantly and very resistant to it because I was like, I don't need to hear from these people. So I was much on the same wave, same wavelength as you. But then as I went along and I realized that I wasn't crazy, other people felt the same way. Other people knew and had experienced what I was going through, whether it was at the same time or months or years ahead of me, they did understand. So it was, it was kind of helpful. And I think that in, you've seen the same thing in, in giving me a light at the end of the tunnel that this is really not great right now, but look, these people have progressed through, so I'll get through. And it gave me a positive take on that. And um, one thing that I always say is that I, people say, oh, it gets easier. It gets better. And I said, well, it gets easier to live with the different. It's not a better life than I had. It's just a different life. And you become accustomed to and easier to live this different life. And I feel like um, the get togethers with the group um, and being around other people and having different experiences, because we all have very different experiences, but yet they're also similar. Um, I think that's been very helpful for many people. Um, so what would be your advice to someone who's new to this widow journey that's in that, oh my God, is this real? Or in the, I just have to figure out how to live today and not forget to pay the bills or, you know, remember to go to the grocery store so the kids can eat. What are some of the things that you would, you know, is there advice for those people that you would give? I think the piece of advice is what the charge nurse gave, the advice the charge nurse gave me when at the moment, just ahead of my wife passing away, which is how you feel and your emotions, whatever they are, are valid right? There is no playbook for dealing with this. The stages I talked about aren't a playbook. It's just my journey. Uh, I can tell you it's going to be very difficult at the beginning. Um, it may be too difficult to want to hear from others or speak to others. And that's fine too. You know, you said you came to it at about nine months, me at about six months. And I think both of us reluctantly. So, you know, just if, if there is that reluctance, that's fine. You know, no, no one's twisting an arm to make you join a Facebook page of widows and widowers. But if that's, that works for you, there are some people on it who join a week or two after their spouse passes away and are very expressive with their emotions. And that's fine too, right? It's, there's, there's no wrong thing that you can do in this journey. It's just maybe the only thing that's wrong is to bottle it up too much and be perhaps inauthentic about how you feel. I like how you said that there is no wrong and except to maybe bottle it up. And I think that that's what a lot of people do because no one around them understands or they feel that no one understands, which is why this podcast series happened because I want people to know that they are understood, that we, we, 
a collective community of people who have lost their significant other, spouse, life partner, whomever, we do see, know, and understand. And even if our journeys to this place are different, we are all in this same place of loss and grief and trying to figure out what the heck comes next. Um, so Tim, once again, thank you ever so much for sharing your story. Um, I just am thrilled to death to have another man's perspective because um, I feel like people discount widowers and their feelings and emotions um, and do a disservice to men in general, especially with all of the mess that you have to try to figure out how to figure out. Um, so thank you for sharing that. And um, for all of you who have listened to today's episode, thank you for sharing this journey and coming along. And please make sure to tell your friends, share, like, comment, and um, let me know what you think. Until next time, if you know someone who's having a struggle, please reach out to them and let them know you care. And if you are struggling, please reach out and let someone know, whether it's a family member, friend, coworker, mental health professional, it doesn't matter. Just please take the time to reach out. Until next time, love and light to you all. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Beautifully Broken with Dawn Renee, the podcast. I'm so glad you've been joining me on this journey and that of my friends I've had conversations with along the way. If you are struggling, I need you to make sure that you reach out to someone that you can trust. And if you know someone who's struggling, especially here during the holidays, please reach out to someone and let them know you care. Please please. And remember, the suicide hotline is open 24-7. If you're a vet and you're struggling with PTSD, depression, anything, please reach out to the VA nearest you. And as always, I'm sending my light and love to all of you, my dear, beautifully broken tribe. You can find me here on Tuesdays and Thursdays for the regularly scheduled podcasts. You can find me on the Beautifully Broken with Dawn Renee podcast podcast Facebook group just by looking it up and asking to join. I add extra content in there throughout the week. And I hope that the people um, that you refer this podcast to will join me there as well as you. And as always, Instagram, Dawn Renee underscore H and Facebook, Facebook at Dawn Hanlon or color me everything. You can find my website where everything I love comes together at colormeeverything.com. Have a great day and please share, comment, like, tell your friends about the podcast if you like it. And please be sure to let me know what you like because my entire purpose is to help you get through whatever it is you're dealing with today. Again, thank you for listening, and I can't wait to talk to you again soon.